Um, Again, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, and can I just pause before I start preaching and say that I love you. I don't know that you're told enough that you are loved, and in God you are loved, and God has given me as your pastor a great love for you, and he's given many of the members of this church a great love for one another, and as I see what God is doing in and through our church body, I'm just blown away with who God is and what he's doing and how he continually transforms us and renews us into his image and likeness, and I just want you to know that you are loved. You are loved by God. You are loved here in this church community. And we together want to continually look to Jesus Christ, our anchor, the stability in our life. And it's all about him. This sermon this morning is going to be a little bit of a soapbox, which I don't love doing. Typically, we preach through books of the Bible, and we kind of take it verse by verse or section by section. And we're not yet done with Hebrews. So we kind of, last Sunday, we wrapped up Portraits of the Faith series in Hebrews chapter 11. And we still have Hebrews chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 13 to go through. I'm extremely excited to get through them because they're some of my favorite chapters in Scripture. Well, that's not true. Whatever passage I'm reading at the moment is usually my favorite passage of Scripture. But Hebrews 12 and 13 have, have for a couple of years, kind of been just washing over my heart and soul. And I didn't want to go through them too quickly. So we're going to pick those up in September. And we're going to finish up Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. And then we'll start a new sermon series probably closer towards October. And I didn't want to do that. Um, sermon... Church planning, sermon scheduling, like everything in me tells me that the Sunday after Labor Day, we need to start a new sermon series. But as I've been thinking and praying through what we need as a church body, I felt like God was saying, pause on Hebrews for now and go back to it. Don't neglect it. Go back to it in September and and give it the, the justice that it's due. But pause for now. And this may seem a little bit weird, but I felt like God was actually saying, do do some of the soapbox stuff that I've put on your heart. So I'm hoping it's a biblical soapbox, not an Andrew personal soapbox, and I think it will be, and I hope that you will see that as we go through. And really what what we're doing the next couple weeks is talking as a church about what God is calling us to. How is God calling us to step out in faith and follow him? And so to get started with that talk, I'm going to ask you to stand and follow along as I read the passages on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab a pew one there, open up to the page number listed, and follow along. We want you to see God's word on the page, not the words coming out of my mouth. Starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The him there being Jesus. Now flip over to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. It's on page 861 in the Pew Bible. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus answered him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. God, I pray that you would use your word this morning, these passages that we've read and the other passages that we will look at, to stir our hearts with a greater affection for you. Lord, as Levi responded, as Matthew responded, as Peter, as James, as John responded by leaving everything and following you, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would work in us, that each one of us in this room would be willing to leave everything and follow you. For some of us, that may mean like nothing on the surface changes. We keep the same jobs. We keep the same homes. We keep the same life patterns, but we have a different perspective. We've left behind the identity that the world offers us and grabbed onto the identity that we have in you. For others, that may mean leaving jobs, leaving neighborhoods, leaving homes to follow you. And so I pray that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there is fullness of joy and help us to respond to your good news in a way that is appropriate for what you're calling and asking for us to do. For your glory, for our good, and for the advancement of your good news, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Both of these passages, we see that the call to be a disciple requires stepping out in faith. Jesus walks along the seashore and he calls out Peter and he says, come and follow me. I love this imagery in Matthew chapter 4 where Peter's out on his boat. He's going about his business. He has his job, right? He's a fisherman. He fishes for fish. That's how he pays his bills. And also that's probably partially his identity, right? I mean, he's referred to as a fisherman and we know that in our culture and context, and I'm not sure that it was that different 2,000 years ago, that we often identify with what we do. When you meet somebody, you say, hey, you know, you share your name, and then what, what's one of the next questions you ask? What do you do? Oh, I'm an IT person, I'm a teacher, I'm an architect, I'm a builder, whatever it may be. And so Jesus comes along the seashore, and he sees Peter. Peter's out on his boat fishing. He's a fisherman. Jesus calls him to leave his source of income, his job, and his, one of his primary identities as a human being, a fisherman, Leave it behind and come follow me, is Jesus' call to Peter. It's similar to that of, of Levi, who's also called Matthew. So in Luke chapter 5, we're introduced to Levi. He's also Matthew. Levi is the Hebrew name. Matthew is his Greek name. Jesus comes to his tax booth. He's a tax collector. His job is to collect taxes. That's how he pays his bills. That's his source of income. That's also his identity, a tax collector. Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, leave everything and follow me. Now, I love the very next phrase there in Luke chapter 5 is Jesus over at Matthew or Levi's house having a big party. So it doesn't seem like for Matthew that it meant selling everything and shunning blessings and shunning good things, but there was this shift of how he used his things. Both Peter and Levi, in both of these passages, we see the call that Jesus gives them to follow him means giving up something. It means stepping out in faith into the unknown 
It means their willingness to, to live with open hands, to say, my source of income, I'm willing to step away from it to follow you, Jesus. My earthly identity, what people know me as, I'm willing to give that up to follow you, Jesus. I would rather be known as a follower or a disciple of Jesus than a fisherman or a tax collector. We see Jesus' disciples are always called to step out in faith and trust God. Our mission at Park is to be and make disciples of Jesus. That's our mission, to be and make disciples of Jesus. If we want to be and make disciples of Jesus, that means Jesus' call to every single one of us is to be willing to step out, to be willing to hold everything with open hands, our sources of income, our identity, our values, our principles, hold it with open hands and say, Jesus, we're following you. We're trusting you for our source of income. We're trusting you for identity. We're trusting you to guide us as we go. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, what boat or booth is Jesus asking you to step out of to more intentionally follow him? Peter, it was a, it was a fishing boat. This, was his, this is what he trusted. The fishing boat represented what Peter's trust was in until Jesus walked along the seashore and said, Peter, I've got a better life for you. Would you trust me? Would you follow me? Would you come with me? Would you leave that behind? And for Levi or Matthew, the tax booth represented his source of trust. He trusted his income. He trusted his job. He trusted his identity. He could control his life through that area. And Jesus came and he said, I've got something better for you. Would you step out? And would you trust me? So I want you to ask individually, what is the boat or the booth that Jesus is asking you to step out of to more intentionally follow him? It's going to look different for each one of us. As I prayed before, some of you, that may mean radical change. That may mean giving up jobs. That may mean giving up relationships. That may mean, may mean making big moves. I mean, in our bulletin, we have that send category. Matt Fry, he's getting married in October, and he's, we're sending him to St. Anthony Village to help replant a church. That's a, that's a big move and shift and change for him. Linnea Ness is giving up her job in the Minnetonka School District to move to Guatemala to make disciples of Jesus. That's a big change for her. She's stepping out of her, her boat or her booth. Clint and Christina, they are moving to Africa to make disciples of Jesus. They are stepping out radically. Jesus has called them out of the boat or the booth of this life here in St. Louis Park to go to Africa. Some of you, it may mean something radical like that. Many of us, it's going to mean just living the same lives that we're currently living, but thinking through things differently. Going about our jobs, going about our daily business, about holding it more intentionally with open hands, saying, Jesus, how do you want to use this for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom? So each of us, over the coming weeks, I want you to be asking yourself, what boat or booth is Jesus asking me individually to step out of to more intentionally follow him? Ask that of yourself individually. And then corporately, I've been asking this question. The elder team has been asking this question. We've been wrestling through this, and, and my job as lead pastor, one of my jobs is to kind of help us as a church understand where I believe God is leading us, and then for us to pray it through together, for the elder team and the deacons and the church members to wrestle through that and pray that through together. And so as I've been asking this question of the church, I have a, I have a few areas that I believe God is calling us as a church to step out of in the coming season. And so we're going to be talking about that over the coming weeks. 
But in order for us corporately to step out and more intentionally follow Jesus, the only way we can do that as a church body is if you as individuals, if I as an individual member of the church, if I'm asking that question about me. How is Jesus asking me to partner with him to step out of my boat or step out of my booth and follow him? And then as he leads us individually and as he leads us corporately as a church, we will see God do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine in his church for his glory in the advancement of his gospel. It was just three years ago this week that City Vision and Park Free Church voted unanimously to merge together as one. So to become one, we have both logos from both churches represented there, and then this is in Pastor Ben's backyard. We had a root beer float celebration after, after the votes came in. City Vision was hanging out at Ben's house waiting to hear, and Park Free took a unanimous vote to merge with City Vision. If those of you who are newer to this church, you can read a little bit about the story in the bulletin or more online, but we had a young church plant filled with millennials and an older declining church filled with primarily um, grandparents and great-grandparents, although there were some who, were who, who weren't yet in that boat. No offense to those who are younger, but you were, the out, you were the outsiders in Park Free. And so we had a young church and an old church voted unanimously together to merge as one. That was a step of faith that God called us to take three years ago. He asked us as churches to step out. In fact, here's one of the statements that the City Vision leadership team gave to our church to pray through. We believe this merger, the joining of Park Free and City Vision, would bring about better stewardship of kingdom resources, a greater testimony in our city, to our city of church unity, and expedited growth in ministry opportunities and greater opportunity for leadership and discipleship. At the core, it's our hope and prayer that this merge would bring about revival in our city and give all of us a greater vision of God. It's three years ago, the step of faith that we felt like God was calling us to step out into Pause, look around. I actually mean that. Like, just look around this room. This is an incredible testimony, a full room like this, with many different age demographics, is an incredible testimony to how God uses steps of faith to bring new life. Three years ago, Park Free had 60 or 70 people scattered throughout the sanctuary, City Vision had 50 or 60 young people scattered through a dance ballroom. And today, we've had to go to two worship services because we've run out of space. In fact, there's a story, and maybe we'll hear this story soon, about somebody who lives near the church building who just within the last two weeks received Jesus Christ because somebody from this church has been ministering to that person. So when we stepped out in faith and we said we believe, even though we couldn't see the evidence of it, as we learned in Hebrews chapter 11, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We couldn't see what this step of faith, what Jesus was calling us out into, we couldn't see what it would produce. We believe that it would bring about new gospel growth. And here, three years later, praise the Lord, it has done just that. So now, what is God asking us to step out to step out into, into the future. I mean, I feel like we've, we've kind of, you know, we've kind of found our identity as a church. Now we are part community church. Back then we used to be to become one. That's like, that was like the name of our church for a couple months. City Vision Park Free, I don't know, we're two churches trying to figure out who we are. Now we are part community church. What is God asking Park Community Church to step into? And what is God asking you as an individual member of Park Community Church to step into? Corporately, big picture, here's what he's asking us to step into as we've thought and prayed about it. To add another gathering. We did that this spring. 
We're going to go back to that on September 9th to make more space for more people. Now, this isn't my preference. My preference would be to have one church service, but can we really communicate to our community and any visitors who come that there's not space for them to, to experience the worship and the preaching of God's word? And so we're stepping out into faith again this fall to go back to two worship gatherings, 9 a.m. and 10.45, and that's going to take people stepping up to serve, people stepping up to give. It's going to, it's going to take organization, and it's going to take togetherness for us to move into that. We're trusting God to multiply community groups so that more people who come can get connected to the family of Christ. Personally, I would love to see us get air conditioning in other rooms other than this room. Amen? Anyone else? The kids right now are sitting in kids' classrooms with about 90-degree temperatures, and their teachers are teaching them, and praise God they're willing to do it, and we live in America, and how privileged are we that we can have air conditioning, right? But man, wouldn't it be great to gift those kids and those teachers air conditioning? And to gift you air conditioning that when you walk in, it's not hotter in the entryway than it is outside or in here, but we'll get there. That's down the road. What I want you to know is that as we're thinking through, as a church body, as we're thinking through things like that, God continually calls us to step out in more important areas. So while personally, I want to renovate the building and get some more nice commodities in this building for you, God has accelerated us serving another church and sending to another country. If you see in your bulletin that, that send part in the middle of your bulletin, God has asked us as a church to step out, to, to add another gathering by making more space for more people, to send Matt and anyone who would feel called to go with him to Elmwood Church in St. Anthony Village to revitalize that church. What happened here three years ago, we're hoping three years from now that church has a similar testimony. And then we are sending out two new missionaries into new countries. When we put this together in January, we thought, let's reach one new country. And God was like, no, no, I've called you to reach two new countries, so you better get on board with me and you better be willing to send. That's where God is calling us to. And he's calling us to ramp up our giving and our relationship and our knowledge of the missionaries who we've had for years, who most of you have no idea who they are or what they're doing. He's asking us to step out in faith and get to know them. And so what boat or booth is Jesus asking us to step out of to more intentionally follow him? That's where we're going, adding another worship service, making more space for more people here in St. Louis Park, multiplying community groups to reach more people here in St. Louis Park, sending a leader and people and finances to St. Anthony Village to revitalize a new church, sending out missionaries to reach new countries. That's where we're going. What will it take for us to get there? What is God asking us corporately to do? What boat or booth is he asking us corporately to step out of as a church to more intentionally follow him in the direction that he's setting for us? And there's many things. This isn't an exhaustive list. I mean, um, I'm just going to give you a few that, that I think are instructive and helpful for us at this point. The first one is I believe God is calling us to step out of individualism and into meaningful membership. God is asking us as a church to step out of individualism and into meaningful membership. The culture that we live in, American culture, is so individualistic. I mean, that's part of what we were founded on. We want to do things our way. We want to be left alone. We don't want anyone getting within our personal bubble. But that's not the church. And that's not many of you. 
This isn't like a get-in-line church type of sermon. This is a let's keep going in the direction that I see this church going. It's incredible to see the amount of people who are jumping into meaningful membership. We heard testimonies of that last week. Thank you, Raysa and Widmers, for sharing those testimonies last week. Each and every week I hear testimonies of people who are being connected to the body of Christ and their lives are being forever changed because of it. Some of you know Mandy and Andrew Ansel who moved back to the East Coast a few weeks ago. They got deeply connected in this church and their lives were radically changed over the last three years by being a part of the community. By, by making a meaningful commitment to the church, not just by attending, not just by showing up, not just by kind of staying on the edges, but by investing their lives as members and having meaningful relationships as members. Let's look at a few passages here. John chapter 13, verse 35 and 36. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. This is on page 900. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we can't show the world what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus if we aren't loving a group of people. And love, love is shown through commitment and through trials and through good times and through hard times. When you church shop indefinitely or when you switch churches every couple of years because you like the music there, you like the preaching there, you like the program there, you don't show the world what love looks like. Now, there's a time and a place to church shop. There's a time and a place to consider what's a healthy, good church for you to be involved in. But Jesus says that the world will see you are my disciples. So if our mission as a church is to be and make disciples, Jesus says the way that they will see that is as you love one another. So don't live your life individualistically doing what you want, when you want, how you want, but commit to a group of people. Make a meaningful step of membership. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 on page 911. Flip there. And this is a picture of the early church and how they loved one another, and what meaningful membership looked like 2,000 years ago in the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need." We see what it looks like to be immersed in a church family, to have meaningful membership or belonging to a church. Church, in order for us to accomplish what God is asking us to step out into, we need to move from believing, from this intellectual ascent of the gospel, to belonging, belonging to the body of Christ, deeply committed to one another. The older generation in this church has done this extremely well. Some of you have been here for over 60 years, and this church has been through many ups and downs, right? Yeah? And you've stuck it out. You've committed. Thank you for doing that. Some of you younger members of our church, you've been committed from day one. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Some of you who are checking this out, I want, to, I want you to know that, that you have a time and a space to just check it out and to ask questions. We're not asking you to, to make meaningful membership overnight. I'm praying for you as you're searching for a church 
that you would find a church that would demonstrate to you the glory of God and that it would be a safe place for you and your family, a challenging place, an encouraging place for you and your family to grow in Christ-likeness. But I encourage you to find a church. So early on, the, the, the generation that built this church here, they were very committed. But then a couple generations later, the church as a whole in America went through this church growth movement thing where people, people became church shoppers and church seeker-sensitive churches, and everyone was just kind of floating around every couple of years looking for a church that had all the different things that they needed and wanted for their family. And so for a few years probably for an entire generation, many churches in America lost this feeling of meaningful membership as people drifted from church to church. Sometimes it's for a good reason or sometimes it's for a painful reason and you have to leave a church because God calls you to. But many times people leave a church because they get sick of the music. They get sick of whatever. Somebody hurt their feelings. We can't show the world the love of Jesus Christ if we leave because our feelings are hurt. I want you to actually just listen to Matt Chandler, one of, one of the pastors that I listen to, says this way better than I do, so I want you to just uh, listen to him for a minute, kind of encourage us towards belonging to a church. I think I like that because it takes pressure off me. <laughs> Transformation is life on life, not sermon on ears. But really, I, I love what he says there. Don't go to church, belong to one. And what he says at the end, that through the highs and lows and monotony in between, discipleship happens. Transformation happens through the highs and the lows and the monotony in between. That's my hope for you, that you grow through Christ, grow in Christ through monotony. Many of us leave churches when it becomes monotonous because it's not exciting or life-giving anymore, but wait for a season and watch how God changes you and watch how God transforms you. Now, the next one, out of personal autonomy and into godly authority. Out of personal autonomy and into godly authority. And that probably, even that word, authority, some people are like, I don't want to be underneath authority. I'm my own authority, right? That's the American culture. Again, the American value is, is to be autonomous, to be self-governing, to do things your way, when you want, how you want. That's the American dream, is it not? I mean, our entire culture and many churches in our culture were started on, we can do what we want, how we want, and forget the man. But scripture calls us out of the cultural current of autonomy and into interconnected relationships where we actually sit underneath authority. So my pastor is lead title, right? Some people probably think, oh, that means he's the ultimate authority. No, that means I have a massive responsibility to sit underneath other people's authority. That means the members of the church are, are praying for and checking on what I do. That means the other elders on our elder team are praying about and checking up on me. My life is under a microscope. It doesn't mean that I'm the authority. It means that I have a lot of responsibility that I will answer to God for. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. We've been in Hebrews for months. We're going to come back to it, and we'll see this more again in a few weeks here. But Hebrews chapter 13, it calls the church calls out to the church members, those who are committed. It says, obey your leaders. Oh, that doesn't even feel right to say in our culture. You don't obey anyone but yourself in our culture, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. You can't say that. In our culture, you don't submit to anyone except for yourself. If your boss isn't, is asking you to do something you don't like, you don't have to do it. If your parents are asking you to do something that you don't like, I mean, I have little kids and I 
the struggle, man, oh, it's real. <laughs> this is God's word. God's word is countercultural, where counterculture would say everyone should do what's best in their own eyes, and it would lead us towards spiritual anarchy. God's word tells church members, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. I don't like that part. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the call there is for members of the church to submit to the appointed leaders and for the leaders to lead in such a way where there's joy and life and for the members to serve in such a way where the leaders don't have to groan and the leaders will give an account for how the church functions and works and for how the members are doing That's what we're called to, church. We're not called to just live our lives autonomously, independently, doing what we want, how we want, when we want, but interconnected, submitting to God's appointed leaders. Watch another video here, and then we're actually going to introduce to you another elder candidate who we are introducing. And um, Listen to the video, and then we'll do that. I praise God for having an incredible godly elder team. Those of you who are elders here, thank you for being godly men. We want to introduce to you now a new elder candidate, Bob Sullivan. So Bob and Chris, if you could come up. Chris, you won't have to say anything. (laughs) I know you don't like to talk in front of people, so no pressure here, but we'd love to see who you are. And so um, in October, we'll have our annual business meeting, and we will be voting on Bob Sullivan as an elder. He is, has been recommended as an elder candidate. We've, the elder team has put him through an extensive process. He did a bunch of homework and read a bunch of books, read a bunch of scripture. Yeah, he, he had to write a booklet for us, and we interviewed him and Chris and got to know them. And we just we feel like he really demonstrates a godly character. But you members of the church, you will vote on him as an elder at our congregational meeting. We want you to spend the next couple months getting to know him and testing their character and asking them questions and seeing if they if if Bob is a godly authority figure that you should submit to. That's how this works. And so why don't you just tell us for a brief moment a little bit about yourself and why you feel called to be an elder here? Okay, why I feel called to be an elder. Um, yes. Uh, Thanks, Andrew. Um, nice setup. The, <laughs> the calling as an elder, I mean, on the one hand, like I think the last video said, is you're, you're going to be held accountable. And it, 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 it's, it's more responsibility in the church because if things go wrong, it's, it's the elders that are kind of on the hook. And at the same time, I've done elder before, and like he said, you're sitting in a room typically, sometimes on the phone, and you're dealing with difficult, difficult situations that not everybody wants to deal with. You'd say, you know, I I really wish someone else would figure out how to resolve this for us, but, you know, it has to be the people in the room to sort it out. And I saw, you know, a little over a year ago, the opportunity to join forces with Park and Andrew and the staff and the elders that were here just to come alongside and to be an encourager. I mean, I knew that I could do that much. I'm not sure about some of these lofty goals for elders, but I know that I can show up on time and I can say, I'm glad to be here. And if anybody ever wants to encourage Andrew, buy him a pound of coffee. So that's every pound of coffee I've ever given him, he says, this is one of my favorites. So. <laughs> But, um, so I've done it before, I've, I've, I've studied the word, not at seminary, but just as a Christian for the last 30 years, and um, I'm excited to see how 
God had put me in a position to contribute, not just a little, but to, to make a big difference for him at Park. And um, looking forward to it. Thank you. Can we just extend a hand and pray for Bob and Chris and get to know them over the coming months, especially members who will have a vote on whether or not God has called Bob to be an elder. Father, we thank you for sending Bob and Chris to our church and for the contribution that they've already made and for the way that they have gotten involved in this body here. Lord, we thank you for the, the, the call that you put on Bob's life to serve us as an elder. 1 Timothy 3 says, whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder or a pastor aspires to a noble task. And it is a calling. Lord, you have put that calling on Bob's life and in front of him, and we thank you for him responding to it. And help us as a church to hear from you as to whether or not this is the right fit for Bob and for Chris and for the good of your church. Lord, we pray in all things that you would strengthen your body as we look to you, Jesus, the head. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. All right, so that's what we're called to. Again, countercultural. But we as a body of believers ought to and need to submit to one another and submit to the leadership that God appoints here. So that's kind of the process of how that works. There will be more information about what that looks like coming up to our annual business meeting. And then lastly... What boat or booth is Jesus asking us to step out of? I believe he's asking us to step out of conservative giving and into liberal living. And I use those words intentionally because I knew it would get some of your attention. Because conservative and liberal, we usually think of as political, correct? God has called us as a church out of conservative giving and into liberal living. The word liberal comes from the, comes from the Latin word liber, which means free. Christians should be the most liberal, most freed up people in the world. We have been set free from sin and bondage. And we have been set free from the, from the control of money and the, the pursuit of things and the pursuit of stuff to follow and serve Jesus Christ. Many of you give liberally. You live liberally. Man, week after week, I hear stories about people having people in their homes, people allowing people to stay in their homes, people giving resources away, people sharing extra cars with people in need. It's incredible. That's a picture of the gospel. Calculated, safe serving is not a picture of the generous God. But liberal living, holding everything with open hands, saying, God, whatever you want, it's all yours. I give it all to you. I respond to the good news of the gospel by, by giving it all back and giving it all away. Remember Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which we looked at a little bit ago. The, the believers were together, and they, it says that they sold what they had, and they gave to everyone who had need. That's liberal living for the glory of God. They were free from the love of money. They were free from the, the controlling pursuits of the world to meet one another's need. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter two, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. The, um, it's listed up there, and it's on page 968 in the Pew Bible. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to churches about collecting money for a church. So as we think about sending Matt to Elmwood, as we think about sending Clinton, Christina, and Linnea to other countries, as we think about more and more supporting and getting connected to those who we already support, we need to think about how has God called us as a church to share our resources? 
He hasn't called us to come conservatively and place a little bit of money into the plate or do it online or, or to you know, budget things out and figure out, well, I can afford to give $10 here, $10 there. He's, a, he's called us to live with open hands. Say, God, whatever you ask of me, I will give it back to you. Listen to how Paul says it's about churches sharing resources in the first century. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. The point is this, and this is the point about sharing resources with other churches, other believers in need. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not out of guilt. So don't hear me guilting. If you give out a guilt, just don't give at all, period. Hold it back and wait until God allows you to give freely and willingly. Seriously, it will be better for you and better for the kingdom of God if you give because God has called you to give and you can do it with joy. He says, each one of us must give what we've made up in our mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God has called us to live liberally, to give generously our time, our gifts, our money, our resources, our homes, our lives, to open it up to one another and to those who are not yet a part of the family of God. And so church, if we're ever going to accomplish this, I mean, if we're going to effectively reach more people in St. Louis Park through community groups and through adding on more space for more people to hear the, to hear the gospel of Jesus proclaimed, we need to live liberally in St. Louis Park so that people get a taste of the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're ever going to send Matt out with, with the resources that would be good for him, we need to live liberally as a church. Open hands. God, what do you want? What are you asking me to give? What are you asking me to contribute? And giving it generously. And then country, to send Linnea to Guatemala and to send the Revises to Africa and to support the missionaries that we've already committed to. It's going to take all of us living liberally, open hands, continuing to give, continuing to just trust this word that he supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food. He will supply and multiply your seed. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever gives bountifully will reap bountifully. Do you believe that, church? Are you willing to respond to who God is and what he's done with open hands? And now as we transition to responding, we need to look at our gospel response. Look at verse 13. So it's not about, it's not about where you're at and what you give, right? 
I mean, as we read here, God doesn't want your gift if it's reluctant or forced. We need the gospel to work through us, to transform us, so that we give generously with open hands because of what God has done. Look at what Paul says here in our passage, 2 Corinthians verse 13. He says, by their approval of the service, they will glorify God. This is church partnership, church connection, interconnected members of a church. They will glorify God because of your submission. So we've submitted to what God is calling us to do, which flows from your confession. You're confessing, you're your believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God gave more than we could ever match. He gave his one and only son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that we couldn't, to die the sacrificial death in our place. And he is now graciously transforming us more and more into the image and likeness of his son. And so God's called us to do this, and this will happen as he transforms us to respond to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ, as we make a confession of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so today we want to respond to the gospel. I don't want you to respond out of manipulation to me asking you to give. If you don't want to give, and the only reason you're giving is because you heard a sermon about what God is calling us to do, please don't give. Just hold your money and wait for God to change your heart. Because he will. Start, just start saying, God, I'm not ready to give, but show me what that looks like, and, and he'll do it. He's so good. He's so gracious. He'll pry your fingers open one at a time, and he'll show you how great it was for you that he did that. And if he's doing that to you now, we just want you to have a chance to respond. Respond to who God is, what he's doing, what he's calling us to as a church. We respond first and foremost by receiving. So we have giving plates on the communion stations, but these aren't tied together. You don't give and then get. Here's how the Christian life works. We get, and then we are invited to give. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're going to respond to that now by, by singing and by taking communion and take the cracker and remember that Jesus came for you. That he lived the life that you couldn't. That he died the death that you should have. The, the cracker represents his body broken for you. The cup represents his blood shed for you. Come and receive the elements which remind us of Jesus. Come and receive God's grace for you in Jesus. And then if you feel so, so called to, respond by giving. There's giving plates on the stations. Some of you have given online. Thank you for that. Continue to give. I think all of us should assess our giving. Some of you don't feel called to give. Don't give. But all of us can come and receive what God has given for us in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what this time is built for, for us to receive from God his greatest gift, his son, Jesus Christ, and for us to give back as he calls us to. Let's pray and respond. God, we thank you that you are a generous God, that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, on our behalf, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's nothing in the way of us and you that we are able to freely come into your presence and to receive the gift that you've given us in Jesus. I pray now that as we respond, that you would nourish our souls with the elements, that we would be reminded of your great love for us, that you are a generous God who gives. 
And I pray that we would receive from you with open hands, worshiping you, praising you. And I pray that you would reveal to each one of us what we're called to give in the coming months and years. It's going to look different for all of us. I pray that you would make it clear for us that we would joyfully give. Help us to trust you, God, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.